We still get to celebrate what Christ has done for us. And we get to celebrate the eternal life of yours because you are a merciful, compassionate, loving Father who is willing to forgive us of our sin and not pay us debt like sin should be paid, but instead give us life through the forgiveness of our sins through Jesus Christ. So God, as we enter this time as we celebrate, as we think about Christ's body broken for us, his blood shed for us, God, as we move in our hearts, stir our affection for you. When the hour came, he reclined at me, one of the apostles with him, and said to them, I earnestly desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So the cup, when he had given things, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the food of the body until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And he gave him thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup. And they eat the saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant made in my So, some, we're going to pass out pieces of bread, symbolize the broken body of Jesus. We'll hold that for a moment after we return back to the table with a prayer of bread and bread.
took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given to you to do this for the
know, I don't think that uh, this may be a loose interpretation, but I don't think that when Christ uh, was there with his disciples and he shared that intimate moment, he talked about his body being broken and his blood being shed for us uh, for all of mankind. I don't think he meant just remember it for a moment. I don't think he meant remember it orderly. I don't necessarily think he meant remember it every Sunday. I think he meant for the lifestyle being in remembrance of what I have done for you, what I'm going to do for you, what, what's going to happen for eternity. Remember, remember those things. That's why I think that uh, so the Lord's Supper actually should stop at that moment. And I think it's why he gives us the command that we talked shortly about this morning about go and make disciples. Remembering what he has taught us, remembering the things that he's done for us, go and make, and make disciples. Turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Have you ever had that moment where you just thought, uh, I've been to church before and I've heard the, uh, the stories that have been told, I've heard about mission trips, I've heard about opportunities to share the gospel. I've heard about opportunities to go and make disciples. Uh, I've been impacted by testimonies like we heard this morning. I've, I've been impacted by uh, what Christ has done for me. And so with that, I know that I should really and share those things with, with other people. But maybe you had uh, just a moment when you, when you thought inwardly and you began to think, why is it important that I would go and make disciples? Why would Christ give me this command uh, at the end of his time here on this earth? Why would he give me this command as a disciple to go and make more disciples? Why is that? Is it just for the sake of filling pews or just for the sake of numbers in the Baptist in Mexican or is it just for the sake of bragging rights or really what, what is it? Why is it that Christ wants us to make disciples? Is it so that someday we can stand at uh, someone's funeral and stand there and complain how great they were and how many disciples they made. But for that fact, or was it because Christ is worthy of it? Was it because Christ is it? That he has all authority in heaven and earth. But at his name, every knee shall bow. We have to really come to a, a point where we decide is Christ really worthy? Is the story tells us about Jesus is the command that he shares with us worth following. Is the things that he says, like in John chapter 15, that you can do nothing apart from him, are these things real or are they just words from a man who claimed to be God on this earth and died for the sake of others? Is Christ really worth it? Is Christ really worth Teaching others about. Most of us here this morning will probably not have that agreement. Absolutely. The things I've heard about Jesus are worth sharing with others. If that is the case, why aren't there more disciples of Jesus today? What gets in the way of us in our call to go and share the gospel, the good news, and make disciples of every nation today? Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 6. Verse 6 says this. Probably heard this verse before, or heard this little section before. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know time, the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. You probably should have that or But you will receive power, verse 8 says, 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When they had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Christian, follower of Jesus, you know this is another part that you have to put trust and belief in. Not just that he died for your sins, and that you have hope of eternal life, but also in this record here that Luke has written down for us, that we also believe that he did not die again on this earth, but instead was lifted up or ascended into heaven, and now the author of Hebrews tells us that he is seated at the right hand of God, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, and he is now seated at the right hand of God. So he did not die again on this earth. After he was resurrected from the grave, he did not live on this earth 40 more days and then die again. But instead, lived 40 more days on this earth and then was ascended into heaven and still lives today in heaven. We do not serve a dead Savior. We serve a Savior who is alive. And by the way, he will be alive forever. Nothing will ever stop him from being alive. Something tried to kill him, but it did not take effect. Christ raised, I mean, God raised Christ from the dead. So when we talk, when we talk about disciple making and what Christ is calling us to do, when we talk about hospitality, the doctrine of sin, when we talk about evangelism, evangelism and discipleship, or hand in hand, you cannot separate them, they should never be separated. Evangelism and discipleship go hand in hand. When we think about disciple making, we cannot think about it in a, in a sense of resuscitation. Like someone has been unconscious and we breathe life back into them. We gave CPR and we uh, brought them back out of their unconscious state. We got to ride them back in the ambulance one time and performed CPR and then we came back to, to life, so to speak. He was in an unconscious state and became conscious again. And he asked one of his first words, well, Where am I? And he said, and his second phrase was, how long have I been out? Probably wasn't the best time to make jokes, but that's who I am. And I said, you've been out, man, you've already had Christmas. He said, I miss Christmas. No, no, I'm kidding. You haven't had that long. It's only a few hours. But you have been out. Thankfully, you are, have been, you have been resuscitated. But here's the not-so-funny ending to this. This gentleman, though he was resuscitated, and life was breathed back into him, and he was removed from his unconscious state back to his conscious state. Two weeks later, he breathed his last breath on this earth. No longer to be resuscitated. So when we talk about what making disciples is about, we're talking about resurrection. For the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. Resurrection is being dead and being brought back to life and to live in a new created way. So when we talk about disciple making, we're talking about bringing people through death into life forever. So Christ would say, go and make disciples of all nations. Resurrecting them from the dead through the power of Jesus and the forgiveness of sin. Resurrecting them from death out of the grave into life forever and then teach them how to live in this new life that Christ has given, given them. I wish so desperately, and I'm sure that my beautiful bride wishes the same thing. 
I wish when we received our four children, they would have come completely trained. That we didn't have to do anything. They just come to our house and they do everything that we ask them to do. Do this. Oh, they did it. They, they, they learned all these things, but instead, the parent had to teach them in the way that they should go. Why are you acting like this son or daughter? I don't know. This is just who I am. Oh, you have been taught. Disciple making is about teaching someone. This is what death looks like. And this is what life in Jesus looks like. And when they had said these things, and they were looking on him, he was lifted up, and clouds took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, the whole two men stood by them in white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So while you're standing there, it's time to get the work. You have the commandments. You have the directions from the Lord. Now go and make disciples. Don't just stand around and do nothing. Don't just stand around and do nothing. Turn back to chapter 28. I just preached the whole sermon in like six minutes there. It's like I'm one saying. I've been out for a couple weeks. I've been out for a couple weeks. I've been out for a couple weeks. I've The end goal of discipleship, or the end goal of evangelism, evangelism should be disciples who are making more disciples. You know that, right? Like that's the end goal. The end goal is not people in pews. The end goal is not uh, people in pews, but instead it is disciples who are making disciples. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee. Take note, you probably already know this, but where Jesus' ministry begins, it also ends with a beginning. It's kind of confusing, but he began his first ministry in the kingdom of Galilee, and he ends his ministry in Galilee, but it also is a beginning to the ministry. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. I wish it stopped there. I wish Matthew wouldn't record it anymore. Because what happens next in verse 17 is we hear about humans who are a lot alike. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubt. Some doubt. Terrible word in Greek. The Greek is mistazo. The Greek word is mistazo, which means I waver, or I doubt, or I hesitate. It really comes from two different words here. This means double or two, and stasis means standing or stance. They stood in the middle, double in a, in a double stance here. I'm not sure if I should go this way or if I should go this way. In the middle of two opinions, which do I believe? Do I believe the person on the left or do I believe the person on the right? And here they some were worshiping Jesus, yet some still doubted. And maybe you're like me, and this is where we fall into today. We know that Christ has asked us to go or commanded us to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them what he has taught, baptizing them in his name. We know this. But for whatever reason, we stand in this middle section and we have two opinions. Do I trust what Jesus has said or do I believe the things of the world? And they saw him and they worshiped him, but some doubted. And because Christ is God and he is all-knowing, he 
corrects their doubt. And verse 18 says, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Why does he make this statement? To reassure his disciples that he has all authority. That nothing should stop you or I or any of the other disciples in the world from going and making disciples of all nations because the one that you serve, who has conquered sin and the grave, who is alive forever, also has all authority. No one has authority above Jesus. And if that is the case, then every bit of our life, all of the moments of our life, belong to the one that we call Lord Jesus. The problem with disciple making is three things that get in the way. Three words that are just as terrible as disposal. Three words that are just as terrible as I wait or I hesitate. Three words flexibility, compassion, and time. That's what it's going to cost you to make disciples. It's going to cost you to be a flexible person. It's going to cost you to be compassionate. It's going to cost you a large amount of what you consider and I consider my time. We have to come to the moment and say, come to the realization and say, is Christ worth all my time? Worth me being flexible? Worth me being compassionate? Is he worth that? And you would nod your head in agreement, and you would be one that would go and make disciples. Is Jesus really worth it? Stay in the middle and doubt. I want to worship Jesus on Sunday, but I know that Monday is coming and it's difficult. I want to make disciples with him, and I feel like he's worth it. But I still have these moments of doubt. That's where I pray my, my own mind. I pray, Lord, I want to be like Christ. I want to be transformed into your image. But there are many moments in my own life where I want to be myself. I know that you call me to deny self. Take up the cross and follow me, so help me not to follow myself. Help me not to lean on my own understanding, but help me to trust completely in you, and you lead me the way that you lost. There was not a single amen to that. When Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. So, with that being said, go therefore and make disciples. As you are going, go and make disciples of all nations. Do not pick which ones you think are the best. When he said, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. As a child, when you experienced this in your life, as a child, it used to really bother me when someone said, you are just like your dad, you are just like your mother. But then I realized I'm just like them because they taught me how to be like them. Christian, non-Christian, human in this room, you are making disciples. It is inevitable. You are going to make disciples. You just have to decide who are you going to make disciples of. And as a follower of Jesus, we should be making disciples of Jesus. You cannot save me, and I cannot save you. With that being said, you should not be my disciple. Instead, you should be a disciple of Jesus. I should not be a disciple of you. I should be teaching you how to be a disciple of Jesus. Teach them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. Those are difficult things. Love your neighbor. Pray for those who persecute you. Uh, 
use an example a lot, so Matthew 5, 48 goes to the perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect. These are words from Jesus. Does he not know us? We read in 2 Peter that he knows us. We read in Hebrews that he does know us. Does he not know that we cannot be perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect? Especially in that section where he's talking about love. But he's asked us, he's commanded us to be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. What is he asking us to do? Well, John chapter 15 again. Abide in him. You abide in us. Apart from him, you can't do anything, but with him, you can do the things that God has asked us to do, what he's commanded us to do. So think for a moment as you are thinking about your relationship with Christ. If Christ has saved you, if you have confessed him as Lord of your life, then the commandment that should be most at the top of your list, at the top of your, at your to-do list, if you have to have one, is making disciples. Pick one. We talked about it in January. Pick one person that you have influence with, feel like you have influence over, and disciple them. Not in the way that you would go, or the way that uh, friends of yours would go, but disciple them in the way that Jesus would go, and has Paul wrote to Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, you can turn there if you'd like. Actually, don't turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And he wrote these words when he was um, asking Timothy to, uh, to, um, to be prepared. Um, he was talking about the last days were coming and how uh, evil will be, uh, godlessness will be a threat. But it says this in uh, chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God. Profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. But the man of God may be confident, equipped for every good work. Oh, Master, Matt, Brother, Reverend, Master, whatever you like to call me. I don't even know how to make a disciple. What am I supposed to do? All scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching. For proof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be confident, equipped for every good work. I would, I would recommend that you start with studying God's scripture. You know somebody that needs to be discipled? According to God's word. Last term here, Acts chapter 11. If you like to read your Bible like I do, Acts chapter 11. The little story here, true story. Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 19. Ready for this? Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as uh, uh, down, and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them in the Cyprus and Siren who were, who were on coming to Antioch spoke to the elders, also preaching the Lord Jesus. Remember Acts chapter 1, Christ gave them the charge, Christ gave them the authority to go and preach to all nations. But here in chapter 11, we have some that have been dispersed, and they're only choosing some to preach to. These men came along and decided, let's preach to everyone, let's preach something specific, let's preach the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was given them, and a great number of people believed turned to the Lord. What did they preach? They preached Jesus. Start there. You want to evangelize, preach Jesus. You want to disciple, study his word. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. 
and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to me. What? To the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christ followers, Christians. They weren't called good moral people. They weren't called great Southern Baptists. They weren't called marginal Methodists. They were called Christians. They were called followers of Jesus. Do you know why they were called followers of Jesus? Because it was evidence that they were following Jesus. It was evidence that they were following Jesus. And in their love and their passion and their respect and their awe of Jesus, they wanted other people to follow Jesus. They knew that they were temporary, but Christ is forever. And so if Christ is forever, let's focus on Christ. Let's be faithful to our Lord. Let's make Christ priority in all of our life. He's worthy of every moment. He's worthy of all your time. He's worthy of you being flexible for. He's worthy of you being compassionate for. He's worthy of you and I making disciples of all the nations. He celebrated his body broken, his blood shed. We remember that. And in remembering that, we leave this place and we go and we make Teaching them to observe what Christ has commanded. A friend in ministry that um, that is blind, he is a worship leader, and he went on a perfect, seems perfectly sort of pitch deck, and uh, he was like great, extremely obviously God was giving him incredible talent. He tells a story about when he was in college, uh, he was set up on a body of faith. Literally, he's blind, and the woman that he was set up with is also blind. They set up this blind date. Uh, because they're both blind, it's easier for them just to meet at his apartment. Um, so they thought, and so they met at his apartment. His mom, being a great mother that she is, decided that she better check on him. The college that he went to was also in his hometown. And so she decided she'd go to his apartment and check on him and her at his blind date. And she arrived at the apartment. Um, to her dismay, she walked into the apartment and all the lights were off in the apartment. Oh my goodness, you two are in here with the lights off. What are you doing? What do you mean the lights are off? We can't see. What does it matter? What's on? What does it matter if the lights are off? What people are going to be talking about you because they're in here in the dark. Oh, what does it matter? We can't see anyway. We don't even know if we're sitting in the same room. We're just going to tell each other. And it's like you said, when the world around you seems dark, don't blame the darkness, blame the light. The dark can't help in the dark, necessarily, if there's no light shining in it. The Christ has made us the light of the world to go and light up the world with Christ. Not with our own willpower, our own strength, but with Christ. We look around and we say this world is miserable. This world is broken. And absolutely it is miserable and it is broken. 
when we hear death, when we hear trauma, when we hear things that just are terrible, we think, oh, why is this so terrible? Is there a remedy to fix this problem? The word is different. It is a remedy. Christ has fixed it. The confession of Christ is Lord will give peace that surpasses all understanding. In the midst of a broken, miserable world, we can worship Christ and stand in all of Him and have hope for eternal life because, because of our Savior Jesus. Go and make disciples of Jesus. Lord, we've heard it. I'm just speaking for the number of Southern Baptists in the room. Every meeting we go to talks about making disciples. Every book we read, every news article in our Baptist publication talks about the need for making disciples. Help us not to get distracted by earthly goals, by earthly challenges, but instead help our goal be that the disciples 